Hey, thank you for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can go to our website, renewalchicago.com. I pray that this podcast today is a blessing and encouragement to your soul. Let's jump into the text. If you got a Bible, go ahead and meet me in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. If you've been with us, we've been walking through the series called I Am, The Great I Am. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at Jesus where he says these I Am statements, these seven I Am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. Today we're going to talk about I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now where this comes from is in Exodus chapter 3 where Moses is told by God to go back to Egypt to free the Israelites. And he said, well, when I go back, God, who do I tell them who sent me. And he says, tell them I am sent you. So what Jesus is doing here is saying that he is God, but he's also saying that I am for my people. So when he says I am, it means I am God, but I'm also for my people. Amen. Have y'all enjoyed this series? Amen. John chapter 14, if you got it, won't you stand on your feet if you're able with me as we read the word of God. Starting in verse 1, the text reads, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. Remember that that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you do know me, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Very words of God, amen. Today I want to preach on, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Before we go any further, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. You're a good God, and I thank you for your people. God, I ask as I walk through the word this morning that it would not be me that preach, but it be you speaking through me. Let your folks hear a word from you, God. May you be lifted up, that light in the darkness as we said in that song. God, we thank you for your goodness, and we pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said together, amen, amen. You can be seated. (laughs) 
Family, you ever found yourself looking for something that was sitting right in front of you? Don't act like you ain't never been there before. Some of y'all were there last night. Just looking for something that was sitting right in front of you. I mean, and you, you're starting to panic, getting anxious. You're, you're starting to go through clothes. You're looking under tables. You're, you're finding strength that you didn't know you had. You're picking up couches stuff. You're looking for something that you cannot find, but it's sitting right in front of you. You ever been there before? Come on now. Y'all know looking for that remote. <laughs> I mean, it's the worst thing when you lose the remote, especially if you got kids. And you lose the remote, and you're looking for the remote, but the remote is sitting right there on the TV stand right in front of you, but because it's black, you can't see it on the black TV stand. Y'all been there before? All of a sudden, you get anxious, you get cold sweats because the game is about to come on TV, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to miss my game, man. That, that, that TV show you want to see is, is coming on, you're missing, you know, the Netflix countdown, three, two, one, but you can't stop it because you don't know where the remote is. <laughs> you're in cold sweats and everything. You got to change your clothes because you can't find the remote. Y'all ever been there before? You're looking for the remote, but it's literally sitting in front of you. You see, in those times, I found if I just calm down, just slow down a minute, just pay attention, you know what usually happens? I usually find what I'm looking for much quicker. I, I usually find it because I'm not panicking anymore. I'm not in a hurry. I, I'm not all over the place looking for whatever I'm looking for. And when I slow down, I can remember where it was. I can remember where I put it. It's sitting usually right there in front of me. And see, here's my point. Many times in life, this type of issue, it, it translates or trickles into the same way we approach God. We start stressing out over our job. We, we start getting overwhelmed with our finances. We get down and depressed about life and relationships, and, and we worry about everything. And what happens is that we start to miss belief, the belief in God and how that translates into the goodness of Jesus. We, we miss his provision. We, we get so wrapped up in, in trying to figure it out ourselves and trying to find things when it's right in front of us and where if we just slow down a minute. Remember this goodness, we know that we're okay. And so today in this text, this is what I want to do. I want us to slow down a bit. Can y'all do that with me? Let's slow down a bit, and I want to look at this passage, and I want to see the goodness and provision that exists in Jesus saying, he is the way, the truth, and the life, to which we commonly miss because we're scrambling around looking for life, looking for it all over the place, just like the lost remote, when Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life is sitting right in front of us saying, look at me, I'm right here. Slow down. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Now, family, in order to really understand what's happening in this text, we have to look at the context we got to go to school a bit. we got to look at the context surrounding the passage. And the reason I say this is because many times as Christians or even non-believers, what happens is we focus on chapter 14, verse 6. How many of y'all heard that verse before? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We remember that verse, but we don't see the rest of the verse. We, we see I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And because of not seeing the context, we really miss what's important in this verse. 
You say, it's another sermon for another day, but y'all, we do this too much. We open up the Bible and we flip it open like, what's the word for today? That's, that's the word. I needed that, Jesus. You're looking for that word. But we don't, we commonly take scriptures out of the context because we don't read what's happening around the context. And, and we get it tatted all over our body and we don't even know what it means. And, and we, or, or we use it out of context and use it against Christianity and say, this is why I don't believe because it says this. And you're, if you just slow down a bit and you looked at all the context surrounding the passage, you would get an altogether different meaning and understanding of what's happening in the passage. We got to look at the context of what's happening here. It's very important to see the context around scriptures to understand what's happening. So we got to pay attention. See, this passage right here, it's part of the farewell passage. This is what scholars call it. It's a farewell passage where Jesus has taken those 12 disciples have, who have been close with him, who walked alongside him. And, and through the next several chapters, chapter 13 through 17, he's walking with them and wanting them to understand who he is. So when he leaves, they'll be able to carry on in the work after he's gone. So in chapter 13, you see Jesus get down on the ground and he stoops lower than a servant or a slave and he washes these 12 guys' filthy feet. How many of y'all will wash somebody's feet? He's washing their filthy feet. The king of kings, God himself wrapped in flesh, flesh comes out of heaven down here to serve and wash these guys' feet. Judas, my man in the passage, he he, he, he leaves the Last Supper, and he goes, he's on his way to get his bag of silver and trade in Jesus. He's betraying Jesus. And all the while, back at the Last Supper, Jesus is sitting there, and he's saying, a new commandment I give to you in verse 34 of chapter 13. He's saying, look, I want you to go out and love others as you have seen me love you. Then Jesus says in the passage in chapter 13, he's about to leave. And my man Peter, you got to love Peter. This dude is always out of line, steps up and just just says all kind of stuff, and he says, Jesus, where are you going? Can I come too? And Jesus is like, look, man, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And we see this happen right after Jesus gets arrested. Peter's like, I don't know him. Nope, I don't know him. But see, what Peter is failing to see and hear is Jesus' words when he says in chapter 13, verse 36, look at it with me. He says, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Don't miss it. Peter missed it. He missed it, and we commonly miss it, too, in what Jesus is saying. We got to pay attention. See, he doesn't say that you will never be with me again, does he? He doesn't say, I will leave you forever, but he says, I have to go so you will, and you will soon follow me afterward, which is if Peter was really listening and really knew who he was hanging out with, Jesus, King of Kings, the Savior of the world, if he really knew all this, then Jesus saying, not now, Peter, but soon you'll follow. It would have been enough, it would have been enough for Peter to hear him say, just, just not right now, Peter. But yet Peter is missing what he's saying. It's almost as if Jesus and all he's done and all he said is not enough for Peter. Now, now, mind you, Jesus just raised Lazarus from the dead yesterday. Peter was there. He, 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 he just fed 5,000 people, probably 20,000 if you count the women and children, with five loaves of bread and two fish. He, he, he did all of this. He took them folks to Golden Corral because there were leftovers afterwards. 
Jesus just did all of this, but yet Peter cannot trust the words of this same man, Jesus, right here. God in the flesh saying, I have to go. You can't come with me now, but soon you will follow. I mean, after all that Jesus has done, his disciples, they're still having trouble believing in who he is. Or or maybe, just maybe, they've grown stale in their relationship with God. Maybe they've been walking with him so long that they've gotten used to Jesus and they've taken him for granted to where what he says and what he does in their lives is not heavily weighted. Anybody resonate with that? Either struggling, believing, or, 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 or maybe it just doesn't have that big a weight in your life anymore. Still, I mean, it, it's one or the other. Either you, don't, either you don't believe or you do believe, but the, truth, the, the question is, if you believe... What kind of impact does it have on your life? It it should show. Family, hear me. As Christians or even non-believers, we either sit in one of those places many times throughout our lives. We we either sit in the place of stubbornness where we say, even though I can read about a God who hung the stars in the sky, knows all of them by names, put the galaxies in place. He knows every hair on my head. He's numbered them. He's raised people from the dead. He's made the blind see. He even raised himself from the dead. And now he says, all I have to do is believe in him. Even with all of that, even when salvation is free we still say Jesus is not enough or on the other hand again we we believe and probably on a day-to-day basis we still struggle we still struggle no matter how long we've walked with Jesus we still struggle just just believing that 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 Jesus is the only way I don't have to do anything for salvation we still struggle with that because you know why because we still have problems We still live in a world that's fallen. We still have trials on a day-to-day basis. Hear me. Like I said, no matter if you've been walking with Jesus or you're not a believer, family, sometimes it's really hard to believe that Jesus is the only way. It's it's hard to believe that all I have to do is just put my faith in him and I'm going to be all right. You know why? Because at the end of the day, here's the truth. We really, with all our mess and everything that's happened in the world, it's really hard to believe that Jesus is that good. It's really hard to believe because nobody else is that good in our lives. It's really hard to believe that he's that good. So there's got to be a better way, right? There's got to be a better way. And family, don't hear me saying that we just willfully disobey God. We just defy Jesus like, your, like when your mama tells you to do something, you just roll your eyes and you look the other way. Boy, if you, if you did that in my house, you might get slapped in the next week. My mom wasn't a brutal woman, but you didn't roll, roll your eyes. But see, it's not that type of willful disobedience a lot of times in our lives. So sometimes we struggle because we're con- it's, it's unconscious. There's this struggle within us that's, that's, that's existing within our hearts. This sin tension where, where we, it's not that we don't want to do what God has called us to do, but there's this constant struggle that exists within us that we really don't have control over that, that causes us to rebel against the things of God instead of running to God. So what happens is when you're going through that trial, you're going through that circumstance, you got this big decision to make. You're like, man, I can figure this one out on my own. I don't really need Jesus right now. Oh, man, I, I I can charge this hill by myself. I can make this happen. I don't really need to pray. This is easy. 
And hear me, here's the thing. Every time we fail to make a conscious effort to recognize the sovereignty of God in our life, there's this little wedge that begins to form. This little wedge that begins to form between you and God. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, you, after every decision, you, you fail to consciously remember God's sovereignty and the wedge begins to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Next thing you know, you're starting to do things you know you shouldn't do without any, any conscious about it. You, you don't have any worry. You're not, you're not mad about it. You, and, you, and, and the next thing you wake up, you're like, how in the world did I get here? How, how did I get this far off? How to get to this place where I don't even think about what I do. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm drinking more than normal. I'm having sex outside of marriage. And I know I wasn't raised that way. I, I know this isn't right. I'm looking at porn. I'm smoking weed like crazy. I'm lying. I'm cheating. I'm stealing. I, I'm just doing things I wouldn't normally do. You ever been there before? Be honest. Don't act like we ain't that holy. I mean, it's true because here's the reality. If, we're not, if we can't be honest with God, some of the reason we're not experiencing fruit in our lives is because we downplay our sin, we downplay how ugly sometimes our heart is, and we're not honest. And the Lord can't, he, he's, it's hard to work in the midst of you being dishonest. We, we're not able to say, here I am, this is me, I'm messed up. Family, what I want to do is I want to look at this passage. I want to see Jesus saying that he is the way and the truth and the life, but I also want to look at the context around it because it preempts this verse because I think what we tend to do is when we look at chapter 14, verse 6, we look at the exclusivity of what Jesus is saying and we deem it not credible credible because we don't like exclusivity. So he said that, that can't be true. And what we fail to see is what's really happening in this passage, which is Jesus's grace and his goodness. So let's look at the text. Verse 1, Jesus says, let your hearts not be troubled, but believe in God and believe in me also. It's as if he's looking into the disciples' faces right now, as in a dad or a mom looking at their kids when they're about to leave on a long trip or go to work and, and saying, I have to go. I mean, it, it, family, every time I go away to preach or go on a vacation, it's one of, the hard, one of the hardest things for me to do is look at my kids as they're crying, like, Daddy, we don't want you to go. We don't want you to go. We want you to stay. It's hard to see my kids crying because I have to leave. And then I, still, I get down on one knee, and I, and I give them a hug, and I, I say, you know, it's okay. I pray for them. I tell them I'll be back. But then I look at them, and I say, look, but believe me, you want me to go. And they say, why, Daddy? I was like, could you like to eat? You like to eat, so daddy has to go to work. Believe me, it's for your benefit because if I don't work, you don't eat. Like, yeah, daddy, we like to eat. <laughs> so believe me, I will be back, but I have to go away for your benefit. It's almost exactly what's happened in this passage. Jesus is trying to encourage these disciples to believe. He said, you've been with me. You know who I am. Just trust me. I'm coming back, but I got to go away for your benefit. Then you keep reading, and he says in the next verse, In my father's house there are many rooms, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. See, Jesus is saying, I must go to heaven, my father's house, where there are many rooms. But then he says, I must prepare a room for you, which led me to do further investigation, because if there are many rooms, Jesus, why can't you just invite me over your house? 
Why can't we just have a big old slumber party and just kick it? What, what, why, why you got to go prepare a room for me, Jesus? That don't make sense. Family, Jesus has said this many times before in the passage where he's saying, I have to go away and you can't come with me. Where I go, you cannot come. And the simple answer, here it is, of why we cannot come is because in heaven, don't miss this, there is no place for sin. There's no place for sin in heaven. In fact, Jesus says right before this in chapter 13, verse 33, he says this, little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. So what Jesus is really saying by I must go prepare a place for you is that I have to die in order for you to have a place in heaven, which is why he starts out the passage with saying, believe in God and also believe in me. See, y'all just missed that. Jesus is saying, I have to die for you in order to prepare a place for you after this life. I have to leave you in order for you to flourish, not only in this life, but also in the next. So don't miss it. So so when Jesus says rooms, they're, they're not literal rooms. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying that I have to die to make room for you in heaven. Okay, some of y'all still miss that. It's like Pastor Dave Choi said last week. It's say, it's say, there's this sin nature within inside of us. There's this willful rebellion and sometimes unconscious that we, that we just continue to run away from the things of God. Even though we, we might want the things of God, we, we, we run away from the things of God. There's this willingness to trust ourselves more than God. Hear me, and, and this may be hard to hear, and I've said it before, but y'all, we just aren't that good. We're not really that holy, but here's the good news. Jesus is. Jesus is holy. And here's the thing. And and for us to enter heaven, we have to be holy. And the only way for us to enter in heaven, being holy when we're not holy, is through Jesus. So Jesus is saying, I have to go so that you can come with me, which is why if you keep reading, don't miss it. Then he says, I will come again, and next time I will take you to myself. In verse 3, y'all see that in verse 3 says, I'll take you to myself, keyword myself, because again, we can't get into heaven any other way but through Jesus. Some of y'all missed it still. It's like when I travel, I, I like, I love traveling, but one thing that I love about traveling is that I got TSA pre-check. <laughs> How many of y'all got TSA pre-check if you travel a lot? If you, if you travel a lot and you don't have TSA pre-check, shame on you. You need to get that. It's, it's, um, it's awesome. Pastor Luke's on a whole nother level. He's got global entry or something like that. He, he just goes through it like, I'm like, wait up for me, dude. I got the quick fast too, but I'm not that quick. It, it, TSA pre-check, you know, I love it. I mean, for real, I, I, I don't have to take my shoes off. I don't have to take my coat off, my belt or anything. I just get to walk on through the metal detector. No pat downs, no stripping, no none of that. You know why? Because follow me. I went through a process where I've already fulfilled the government's requirements. So now that I, I've kind of, I've been pre-checked in. Now, now follow me, don't miss this because, and now because of that, whenever I travel, I like to take my wife with me when I can go away and, and I'm preaching she could be there with me. 
And, and because I'm pre-checked in, I, I've, I've got TSA pre-checked, and she's my companion. Whenever I buy the tickets, y'all, guess what? She gets to go through the TSA pre-check line with me. And she hasn't done any of the requirements. She ain't paid a dime, none of that. She could be whoever she wants. I mean, the only reason she gets to go through the pre-check line is because she's with me, and I've already fulfilled the requirements for her. Y'all missing what I'm saying. Jesus in this passage is saying, I got to go away for you. I have to die in order for you to come back with me when we go to heaven together. Don't miss it. That's what he's saying in this passage. Friends, do you see, don't miss this. Do you see the grace and the love of Jesus in this passage? Jesus is like, look, I need you to get this. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. You're like ships without a sail in the midst of the ocean. You're like dirt that cannot clean itself up. You need me. You're not like God because our hearts are inclined to think we don't need God. We rebel naturally, and Jesus, knowing all of this, he knows we rebel. He knows we're, we're walking away from God. He's seen it throughout the centuries. He says, I still must go, and I must die for you to create a place for you, because without me, there is no place for you in heaven. Do you see the love and the grace in this passage? Let me keep going before I get ahead of myself. Jesus then says, you know the way, but my man Thomas, just like Peter, Missing the forest for the trees, he comes back and he says in verse 5, well, Lord, we don't know the way. We don't know the way. How, how can we know the way? And then Jesus, once more, being gracious and consistent in his speech, says in a in sovereign speech now, I am. There's that I am. He says, I am. Basically, I am God. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Now, family, let, let me pause for a minute and say, do you notice the patience here? You notice the love? You notice Jesus' grace? See the consistency in his language? He, he doesn't give up when his disciples don't understand the first time. He doesn't do that. He say, no, you didn't get it. It's, it's over with. No, and you can't come to me anymore. No, no, no. That's that, and that should be encouraging to someone in here. It should be encouraging because, hear me, God will never give up on you. He will never give up on you. No matter how far off you are, no, how, no matter how bad you think you've been, no matter how much sin you think you have in your life, you can always come to God with your problems, with your pain, and most importantly, with your questions. And hear me, there is no wrong question. There's no dumb or out-of-line question when you come to God. I mean, and the reason I can say that is because these dudes in this passage who keep asking him the same question over and over again, these are his disciples. They've been with him for three years. Not one, but not two. They've been with him three years. I've never walked alongside Jesus as close as these dudes, and they still have questions. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that God will never give up on you. Go ahead and do it. It's black church exercise. Go ahead and turn to your neighbor. <laughs> and, and now turn the other way and say, just believe. believe. <laughs> Y'all can get this one day, I promise, okay? <laughs> Hear me. Jesus had to die and leave in order to provide for the disciples and us. But family, here's the point in all that I'm saying in this passage, is that even with this exclusive claim in verse 6, 
This passage is far more about Jesus caring for his people than it is about trying to be offensive or exclusive in his claim. Don't miss it. This passage shows the heart of a loving father saying, I know there are other things out there in this world that will promise life to you, but promise, I promise you they will always overpromise and underdeliver. He's saying, look, look, just follow me. Follow me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way to experience true life. He says, just believe. Now, now friends, knowing the goodness, knowing the love that Jesus is expressing in this passage is very key when we come to verse 6. And now when you know all that, the meaning of verse 6 becomes altogether different. Because he's not just saying he's the way. He's saying, I am the only way, but I'm also the good way. I'm the best way. I'm the most fulfilling way. I have provided the way for you. I just need you to believe. But see, here's the problem. As you keep reading in the passage, in this text, you notice the problem. The problem is not that Jesus says he's God. It's not that he says he's the way, the truth, and the life. The problem is, again, as I said before, is that we don't believe. And at the end of the day, Jesus is not enough. It's not the exclusive claim. It's that we truly don't believe, which leaves us always wanting more. And see, here's the thing with that. We're always wanting more, and without believing, truly believing in Jesus, beyond a shadow of a doubt, his sovereignty, meaning that he's all-powerful, he can do all things, without believing that, there's this internal want for more that is never satisfied. You know why? Because we're created in the image of God, which means that our, that heart-shaped void is shaped in a way that it only can be fulfilled from Jesus. So we're always left wanting more because it's never going to be satisfied by anything other than God. But hear me, the tension is that we're sinful, which means that there's a natural inclination to rebel against the things of God after Adam and Eve and what they did in the garden, and which means that, that, that there's this, it's hard for us to even fathom the fact that, that we can be fully satisfied by Jesus all by himself. Because although we are shaped in his image, again, we run away from him instead of run to him which then creates this turmoil in our hearts because, hear me, here's the truth. We all want the things that God can give us. We all want what God can promise us, but yet we don't believe. Or we feel as if, now that we do believe, I can, I can make it on my own. So we turn back the other way, and we've never really truly believed in what ends up happening. And as a result, we rebel, and we go back the other way, and we end up never satisfied. Y'all see the conundrum in that? You see the problem? Maybe you believed at one point, but yeah, like the disciples, maybe you just stale in your relationship. Christianity has become so familiar to you. So you go backwards to struggling. You end up where you started. Like, I can do this. And in both of those situations, whether you don't believe or you're struggling in your belief, the problem is still belief. It's still belief. It's wholehearted belief. Family, hear me. Sin is sneaky. It's sneaky. See, our human will to do things on our own, it's always lurking at the door. 
Satan's biggest, it's, it's his biggest lie in the Bible. It's why he got kicked out of heaven. It's why he got, how he got Adam and Eve to believe that they could eat from this forbidden tree and, and they wouldn't get punished. It, it's how he, he tried to tempt Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. I mean, it's Satan's biggest lie. You know what that is? Is that you don't really need Jesus. You have what you need in you already. And hear me, the believer has to not only trust Jesus for salvation, justification by faith, where now you're, you're seen righteous in God's sight, blanketed in the blood of Jesus. You, you, don't, you don't need to just trust him there, but you need to trust him throughout the rest of your life. You, you believe by faith, but then you walk by faith. It's not a one-stop thing where I believe by faith and I'm good. It's, it's every day of your life believing. I messed up, I believe. God, okay, I need this decision. I believe that you're, you're bigger than all things. I believe that you can do it. Because everything in this world, hear me, outside of Jesus' family, puts weight on your shoulders. Or in other words, everything tells you that you have to survive by your own will, and it's all up to you. It's in your strength. And the only one that takes weight away from you is Jesus. He says, your life, your satisfaction, your fulfillment, your salvation, everything in your life is not based upon what you bring to the table or what you do. It's not up to you. It's what, it is based upon what I've already done for you. Y'all have heard me say it before, but you work from approval, not for approval. He looks at you and says, look at my son, look at my daughter. And because of Jesus, he says, well done. Not because of anything you've done. He says, well done. Dave Choi said last week, he looks at you in your sin and he smiles because of Jesus. That's good news. But see, some of us, we still don't believe. And here's the truth. As soon as we leave today and walk out of church, something might come your way where you feel as if you can do it on your own or in your strength. You can make it, whether it be taking one less drink not looking at something you shouldn't, going too far in the bedroom outside of marriage. I mean, you, not buying that one item of clothing you know you can't afford. Looking at social media and basing your approval off that or what you do in your job or in your life. There will be something that might come your way either today or this week. And hear me, family, you're going to have to believe because within you, you don't have enough strength to make it without believing. And we have to walk by faith and believe in Jesus every day. Jesus not only says he's the only way to salvation, but that he is the only truth. The only one that promises satisfying life, which means that everything we need can be found in Jesus. Everything from the start of our lives through the end of our life on to eternity can be found in Jesus. We just have to believe. Hear me. That job you want, do you believe Jesus can provide it in his timing? That, that, that spouse, man or woman, do you believe that Jesus can provide him or her? Those finances that you need, do you believe that Jesus can provide? 
That broken marriage, do you believe that he can heal and he can work in the midst of that? That problem that you can't get over, do you believe that Jesus can fix it? Whatever you're going through, do you believe that Jesus is in control and he works all things out for the good of those who love him? Do you believe? That's the question. And hear me, don't hear, don't, don't hear me saying, just sit on your butt and, and pray and don't do anything. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying whatever you do, however you work, work from a place of belief in Jesus instead of in just yourself. Live from a place of faith instead of self-sufficiency. And, and guess what? When we believe in Jesus, he doesn't take life away from us. He actually gives us life and promises life after this. But yet, you see in the passage, the disciples, they're missing this. And so do we many times. Now hear me because I don't want you to miss it. Jesus makes this claim of exclusivity of salvation only through him. But at the time, at the same time, he he does everything for us to be saved. Which means that he's good. I mean, he steps out of heaven, puts a human suit on, as I like to say, dressed in flesh, comes down here among us. He walks among us. He he talks uh, like we do. He experiences life like we do, temptation just like we do without sinning. Then he understands that we can't live up to this holy standard that God has set before us, meaning without sin and holiness. What does he do? He makes his way to the cross. And on his way to the cross, if you read about it, you know it. Maybe you've seen the passion of the cross. He gets beat down. He gets stomped on. He gets spit on. Crown of thorns on his head. Then he lays over this stump, and they give him 40 lashes with cat nine tails where, where, where his flesh is being ripped off his body for things that he didn't do. But yet he doesn't stop there, y'all. He takes that old cross, and he starts hiking up the hill called Calvary, falling down, but getting back up with the cross on his back for you and me. Then he hangs on that cross with nails in each one of his hands, and he dies the death that we should have died. But yet he doesn't stop there because he goes to the grave, and three days after sitting in that grave, taking sin and death to the grave, he gets up with all power in his hands, and he raises the walk in newness of life. But yet, y'all, he ain't done there. Because he walks among us for 40 days, and then after the 40 days, he ascends to heaven. And then he doesn't leave us by ourselves, by ourself, but he gives us the promised Holy Spirit. So we can walk and do life without him. Yo, that's good news. Look at all he does for us. Friends, Jesus does everything, and we just have to believe he is good. He's telling the disciples and us, just believe but hear me, y'all, our hearts, even in the midst of that, they're so depraved and sinful that we keep turning back to saying Jesus is not enough. And, and even if it's not coming out of our mouths and what we do, he's not enough. And we begin to believe once more that we're the captains of our souls. It's up to me. I mean, this happens in the text with the disciples. They, they, they're Jewish, y'all. They're Jewish. They used to live in according to the word and, and the law, justifying their faith by what they do. So Jesus saying in verse 4, you know the way. My man Thomas is like, no, I do not, Jesus. Tell me what I need to do. That's, that's the only thing I know. I know how to do. I, I, that's, how I, that's how I base my faith. I, I, know, I, I just know what to do. Jesus, tell me what to do. And, and, and so Jesus' claim to them is making no sense. 
Because it has nothing to do with what they do or the work of their hands, but it has all to do with what he does. This would have been hard to accept. And for some of us, you know, it's very hard for us to accept too. We still struggle with this, especially in Chicago, because everything we do is based off of our works, our success, our acceptance. Many of you have done things that your parents have never seen before. You laced up your boots. You, you, you did it all by yourself, and you made it to where you are now. And you're like, there's, no, there, there's nothing in this life that's free. This cognitively does not make sense to me. It's got to be a catch. It's got to be a cost to this. And, me, and, and hear me, you are right. There was a cost to salvation, and Jesus paid it all on Calvary. It wasn't free. Just believe. See, this understanding it exists throughout the passage. I'm going to get out your way in a minute. Thomas asked Jesus to show him the way. Jesus says, I'm the way. If you have seen me, then you have seen the Father. I am the Father. And then right after this, y'all, my man Philip, bless his heart. He asked in verse 8, he says, well, then show us the Father. That will be enough for us, Jesus. Family, I almost laughed when I saw this because I was like, really, Philip? He just told you I am the father, but yet you asked the same question. I mean, sometimes I think these dudes have comprehension problems. I mean, for real, you read the, you read the Bible, and you're like, come on, are you serious? But there's this heart and sin problem that exists. But Jesus is gracious, y'all. But once more, and he rattles it off, the same answer, my father and I are one. If you have seen me, you would have seen him. I do not speak on my own authority. And I love the one-liner by Jesus at the end in verse 11. He says, if you can't believe that we are one, then look at my works. Jesus basically said to his disciples, check my rap sheet. You were just with me when I raised Lazarus from the dead. You just saw me feed those 20,000 people with two, lo- two, two, two fish and five loaves of bread. You, you see me heal the blind. You see me make people whole that were sick. You see me do all these things. If you can't believe my words, then check my rap sheet. I, I love Jesus because sometimes he gets gangster with people. <laughs> He's like, you don't believe me? Cool. Well, then look at my resume. You'll believe then. Don't miss what Jesus says in this passage, you got to love it. Now hear me, family disciples still, even after all that, they struggle believing in him. They struggle believing. Which is why Jesus had to rise from the grave. Because without such a miraculous act, they would have never believed. We would not be sitting here talking about Jesus to need. No one has ever defeated death for Jesus. No one has ever made such an exclusive claim about being God and then lived up to it. He answered them and and showed them he's God by getting up from the grave. Y'all don't miss this. He's trying to let them know who he is. He's saying, just believe I'm God and I'm for you. Hear me, family. There's someone who walked in here today that's saying, I'm having struggle. I'm having a time trying to believe in Jesus. And he's saying, look, I'm for you. Just believe. Friends, some of us walked in this morning confused. We walked in with hard decisions we need to make in our lives. We walked in 
in places of sin where like, I'm so messed up. How could he want me? You, you walked in here in places where, where you're down and depressed. And Jesus is saying to you, you are not alone. You're not alone. Just believe. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. Family, hear me. Let's together. Let's. Let's stop treating Jesus like the remote that's sitting on the stand in front of us. It's been there the whole time, but yet we're going frantic looking for life everywhere else. Let's not be like the disciples and keep looking around Jesus. Looking for life. He's saying, I'm right here. Just believe. He says, believe. Believe. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. You're a good God. God, I pray that you would help our our unbelief, that we would run to you, God, in times of need, that we would know that you're the way maker, you're the truth and the life, that we wouldn't turn to anything else but you in all those trials and any problems, even as we walk out of here today, God, that we would make a conscious effort to recognize you in all things, God. And if there's someone in here, God, that does not know you, they're struggling with belief, God, I pray that you continue to work in their hearts to bring them to the place where they say, I believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. God, I pray that we be a church that rests wholly and fully on you, Jesus, your goodness and your grace. We love you, Lord, and we pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said together, amen. Thanks again for listening to our podcast today. I pray again that it was a blessing and encouragement to your soul. And I hope to see you at one of our services at 10 a.m. Take care. God bless you.